Church, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the sixth chapter today, and just considering a verse or maybe two. There, Ephesians 6, verse 18. You want to uh, use the Pew Bible, uh, we would love for you to do so. You can find that on page 979. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, as we hear uh, God's, uh, one of God's many instructions on the ministry of prayer, and I pray that it would be a great encouragement to us today as we consider God's Word. So here we are, Ephesians 6 and verse 18, hear now the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with, prayer and supplic- with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our Father, we're thankful for your word and ask that you would now even come and help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. Our desire is and has been for some time, I believe, Father, that we would grow as a people. Hamilton Baptist Church would grow as a people committed to you in prayer, that we would more fully understand our need for you and therefore be desperate for you and dependent upon you. And that we would express that desperation and dependency through earnest and frequent prayer. And so help us now, even as we seek to understand your truth, and to be conformed more into the image of your Son, our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. It was on July 20th in the year 1861... In the valleys and fields of Manassas, Virginia, just what, 20 miles or so to the southeast of here, uh, were, were that the, these valleys and hills teemed with the largest assembly of military might ever seen in the Americas. Close to 60,000 troops gathered for battle in the first land battle of the American Civil War. In addition to those 60,000 troops, hundreds of spectators came from D.C. to watch the battle, as if it were some type of sporting event. Uh, They spread out their blankets and they they drank their tea as men died in the fields below. One newspaper account uh, describes these spectators by saying, we were all very excited, especially one woman with an opera glass. She said, quote, she was quite beside herself when a louder than usual volley echoed in the battlefield. This is splendid, she exclaimed. Oh my, is this not first rate? I think many Christians kind of live like this, if you will. This might be a parable for the Christian life. That is, quite often we as followers of Christ are sitting on the sidelines, sipping our tea, As if a war is not waging around us. Paul says we are at war. That's the whole context here in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, just cast your eyes just a few verses earlier and you see in verse 10 of chapter 6. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul, in concluding his letter to the Ephesians, does not exhort them to pack for a picnic. He doesn't, doesn't say, get your blankie ready, you know, gather around, get your tea out, we're all going to observe a show hope you find it entertaining. I hope it's very moving and exciting. I hope, I hope you feel positive and encouraged when it's all over. It's not what he says. Rather, he says, be strong. He says, wrestle, stand against, resist, stand firm. Put on the whole armor of God. And then, as you know, describing each piece in turn, he concludes in verse 18 with these instructions. Praying at all times in the spirit. Pray, he says. Even though you're well armed, even though you're defended, even though you have the entire armor of God upon yourself, the apostle comes and says, and now what do you do? You must pray. 
And yet I think for, for many of us, it is, this is an area of failure in the Christian life. I speak certainly of myself, perhaps of you as well. As Paul Miller, the author who's written extensively on prayer, estimates that 90% of Christians don't have any meaningful prayer time. 90%. This is not something new, by the way. It's not simply a Western Christian phenomenon. This has been going on as long as there has been God's people. You remember the story in which Jesus, I think it's in Mark 9, when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration to pray. He takes three apostles with him, leaving nine below in the valley to continue on in his ministry. It's at that time that a man comes to his apostles seeking help because he, his son in particular, is doing battle against what Paul refers to here as we just saw, these cosmic forces of evil. They ask the apostles to cast the demon out from their boy. Now, at this point, Jesus has already given them power over, over demonic forces. He has sent them out two by two. And you remember when they returned to him, they returned boasting that even the demons are subject to us in your name, they say. And so they've already demonstrated this ministry. They've already been endowed with this authority by the Lord himself. And, and, and yet, the, Jesus comes down from the mountain after this incredible experience of his transfiguration, communing with the Father, and he comes into this scene of chaos, and the massive crowd is now gathered, and people are arguing and yelling, and on one side you have the Pharisees, and on the other side you have the, the apostles, and all around them you have this thousands of people who have gathered around, and then in the middle is this dad, desperate for his son to be healed, and Jesus comes down and says, what is, what is going on? And remember the father, he turns to Jesus and says, I, I brought him to your disciples, but they are unable to drive it out. If you can do anything, please help me. Of course, you, you know Jesus can and does, doesn't he? He casts the demon out of the boy, heals him, restores him, and just like Jesus does, he gives this boy back to his daddy. And it is only later when he is alone with his apostles in privacy, they come to Jesus, they stomach up the courage, and they come to him and ask, why couldn't we cast it out? Why couldn't we have victory like we've had before? You remember the answer. Because you did not pray. You didn't pray. You relied on your own skills, your own technique. You thought you'd fight the enemy with your own strength, your own seminary training. Right? You, 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 in a sense, Jesus says to them and to us, I think, do you think you can live the life I've called you to live in your own strength? Do you think you can defeat the enemy and grow in godliness and bear fruit and have indomitable joy and peace and patience and overcome temptation in your own ability, you might as well get a blankie out and go sip some tea on the side of the hill. You didn't pray, Jesus says. And so today, as we do this last week of January, every year at Hamilton Baptist Church is a call to put down your tea. Get up off your blankie, join the battle in prayer. Amen. We start, as you know, prayer week. Now, Pastor, why do we do prayer week every, every, every January? We do it because we struggle in prayer. Don't, can't we just admit that? I struggle in prayer. I think many of you struggle in prayer. Right? We struggle to make time for prayer. We struggle to stay awake during prayer. We struggle to know what to pray for. And so I need passages on prayer. I need sermons on prayer. I need prayer week for my own spiritual life. And as we begin this new year, uh, it has been my hope and desire and our elders' prayer that God would breathe new life into this church, that there will be a, a new revival, desperation, and dependence upon Him as we make new resolves to pray, to be people who pray as Christ has called us to. And so we begin prayer week today. Now we call it prayer week, not guilt week. Okay? It's not guilt week. And maybe you're already feeling a little guilty. Okay? I don't want, the goal today is not for us all to leave here thinking, I'm the worst, what's wrong with me? I'm not even a man of prayer. I'm not even a woman of prayer. 
That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. In fact, prayer, I think it rightly understood, is not a have to, it's a get to. Right? It's not simply you have to pray, you get to pray. I mean, just think for a moment of, of a hero of yours. So some hero, alive, dead, someone you would love to meet, right? Maybe you, John Calvin would be a, a right answer. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you need somebody, a, a Spurgeon, Clayton Kershaw, right? Who's yours? Elvis Presley, maybe you would think of, all right? God forbid some politician. Whatever it is, you think, okay, you're a hero, and I were to tell you, listen, Listen, Ezekiel will be on my short list. I think he's a fascinating guy. I said, someone said, came up to me and said, Stephen, today you get to meet Ezekiel. Right? Today you get to meet whoever you're thinking of. What would your response be? Oh, do I have to? Right? Really? I'm not sure I can fit that in. No, of course not. You would, you would say, I get to? Really? I get to meet them? Well, as great as your hero is in your mind, I'm telling you, God is far greater. He is the creator of all things. He is the savior of mankind. And you get the opportunity to speak to him, and he listens to you whenever you want. Do you feel the honor that it is to pray to God? You need no priest to go in between you. You have the Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about in a moment, indwelling within you. You can go right to God. Do you ever think in the midst of prayer, I can't believe I'm talking to God right now? It's God. He's listening to me. I mean, we feel like it's an honor to talk to certain people on earth. Is it still an honor to talk to God himself? When people come to you and they say, well, hey, listen, I need that. Will you pray for me here? And they, they give you your prayer request. Do you, do you ever think, okay, listen, I'm going to go talk to the creator of everything, right? And he listens to me. And I'm going to tell him all about this. And I'm going to ask him for help. I mean, when's the last time you thought how amazing it is that you are speaking to God and he wants you to do so? And so I'm not, I don't want to fill us with guilt. I want to recapture the amazement that we have, that we leave thinking, not I'm the worst, I don't pray, but we're thinking, I get to talk to God today. I can't wait to do so. I get to meet him. I, in fact, I think the New Testament is, has very few have-tos. We, we shouldn't come at, at Christianity with a have-tos. I have to give. I have to serve. I, I have to pray. It's not a have-to. I, I like how one pastor put it. It's a, it's a stupid if you don't. Okay? Okay? Hey, you, you don't have to give, you don't have to serve, you don't have to, to, to worship, you don't have to pray. It's just stupid if you don't. Hey, it's a privilege. Not only does God want to hear me, um, he, he wants to act in response to what I ask him for. And so if you leave here today, after this time together, and you think, well, okay, that was fine. I'm really interested. What's on TV? Uh, I don't care about prayer. I don't have any plans to pray. I don't have any ambitions to pray. Okay, that, that's your prerogative. But let me just tell you in the kindness of my heart, that's really, really, really dumb. Okay? It's, it's dumb. And it makes no sense to me. That God, the creator of everything, says, oh, hey, talk to me. And you say, yeah, I don't think so. Okay? It's a privilege of prayer. In fact, it's such a privilege. You notice he gives us help. For he says there in Ephesians 6, 18, as we turn to the text now, that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Now, I think it's clear if you read the book of Ephesians, and of course we don't have time to do so, Paul is constantly exhorting us uh, into the Spirit's work and the Spirit's ministry. We've been sealed with the Spirit and strengthened by the Spirit. And on and on he goes in in Ephesians and many of his letters, as you know. This has nothing to do with an emotional state when he says pray in the Spirit. That's not what he's talking about. He's, sometimes we, we say, well, hey, that person, he really, he really prays in the Spirit and, and as if it's some kind of special class of Christian. That's not what Paul means when he says pray in the Spirit. What he means when he says pray in the Spirit, he means we pray in the Spirit when the Spirit is guiding us by the truth that he reveals and he's enabling us by the strength that he supplies so we might think of him as the enabling spirit and, and the guiding spirit. And this is how he helps us in prayer. Paul would write, in talking about prayer in Romans 8, he says the spirit helps us in our weakness. Right? Our weakness to pray. Now, I, I think some of us, we feel weak in prayer. In our flesh, we don't want to pray. 
And in the flesh, we pray for the wrong things. And the Spirit comes along, and he indwells us as Christians, and he works a whole new set of desires in us, and loves in us, and yearnings in us, and longings in us. And the Spirit wants to pray, and the Spirit wants to pray according to the will of God. So we might, as I mentioned, call him the enabling Spirit. He motivates you to pray. You ever feel like, I need to pray, I should pray? That's from the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing in your life. He he is trying to get you going, get you speak to the Father. And I think if you think about our greatest weakness in prayer, as as we've already established, is the fact that we don't do it. I mean, how many times in our life have we been through an event and and it's now resolved and we think, you know, I never really prayed about that. Maybe it was a job issue or relationship or school or money or health. And we think, you know, I, I meant to pray about it. I thought about prayer. I asked other people to pray for me, but I never actually prayed about it. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and he stirs us up and he encourages us and he gets us going. Sometimes, you ever feel like you start praying and there's some inertia in that prayer and it feels kind of awkward and stiff. But once you get going, it just you get the zeal in your heart and this communion with God and this closeness to him. That's the Spirit's work in you. I've been so helped by uh, the great Welsh preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I read this little, I've shared this with you before, I'm sure, this little, little phrase that he, he taught. I learned, uh, read it years ago, and it's so simple, but it's so helpful. He says, if you ever feel like you should pray, do you know what you should do? <laughs> you should pray. <laughs> okay. And what he, what, he, what he taught is, he says, listen, if you're, if you're talking to someone, you think, you know, I really should pray about that. That's not the flesh in you. The flesh is not saying, hey, you should pray about that. That's not your natural state. That's the actual spirit of God communing with your spirit saying, hey, you know what? We should talk to the Father about that. And so Lloyd-Jones says, listen, you should, hey, you should say to that person, hey, this is really important. I think we should talk to God about that. Can we just pray for a moment? Right? That's the spirit working that desire in us. And sometimes, sometimes that desire is, is tampered down. Sometimes that feels flat. Sometimes prayer feels forced. I understand that. And, and maybe we need to talk to God about that and say, God, um, I'm more inclined to read the box score than I am to talk to you. And even now I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about Facebook, and I want to check out Facebook or what's on television, and I'm distracted. And, I, and, and yet you're the creator of the universe and I don't really want to talk to you. Will you please help me? Will you, will you please work your spirit in me to give me a desire to pray? Don't be a fatalist. Christians are not fatalists. We don't say that's just the way I am. I don't pray. No, God actually changes us. He works in us. And the spirit enables us to pray. But he does more than that. He guides us in prayer. He guides us. In Romans chapter 8, again, Paul says, We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So apart, in other words, apart from the Holy Spirit, you know what you're going to talk to God about? You're going to talk to God about uh, whatever's kind of natural to you, whatever's limited to your own reason. In other words, you'll pray like an unbeliever. You'll pray for your health. You'll pray for a, a, your, a better job. You'll pray for safety and successful children. You'll pray maybe for the car to start or the credit card to work, right? These are the things you're going to pray for. By the way, none of those are evil. None of those are bad things to pray for. There's very natural things. There's no evidence when praying for those things that your heart has been changed. Everyone wants those things. That's what people treasure. And so when people do pray, quite often they pray for, to God to get more treasures and then to protect those treasures. Well, what the Spirit does, he comes and he changes our treasures. He changes our heart. And we find ourselves praying that God's name would be hallowed and that our children would overcome temptation. And that our spouse would find joy. And we still pray for our health and jobs and our marriages. But we, do, we pray for them in a different way. We pray for them that the glory of God might be known in them. Right? We pray for our job. And not just that I get a job. But that the job would be a place where I could love my neighbor well. And the job would be a place where I could serve my community well. And proclaim the kingdom well. We, our, our, the reasons why we pray begin to change. I love how the, the proverb puts it in chapter 30. When he prays to God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food appropriate for me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. And take the name of my God in vain. You know, you know what he's praying for? He's praying for money. 
He's praying for food, right? Or money, which will you buy food, right? Give me my daily bread. But he says, give me only enough that I can handle. Because I don't, I don't want to lose my desire for you because you're the one I ultimately need, not money. You see how the Holy Spirit comes and changes our priorities and our goals and our ambition. I love how John Piper put it when he said, praying in the Holy Spirit means experiencing power when we are weak and guidance when we are foolish or selfish. You might say, well, how do I then pray in the Spirit? How do I do that? Well, how, how, how in my prayer am I making sure that the Spirit is enabling it and guiding it? Well, I, I, we could talk about that for a long time, I think, but I think the best way to do so is to allow the Spirit to guide you through the Word He inspired. If your, word, if your prayers are guided by the Word, just like they were this morning when we gathered for prayer, um, then I think the Spirit is, in a sense, guiding them. We immerse ourselves in the Word. Who, who inspired the Word? The Spirit of God. It's His Word. And so he wants to guide you by the word that he wrote. And so we listen to the word and we reflect on the word and we ponder the word and, 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 and we, 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 we slow down and think about, about the word, right? We, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's reading the Bible through this year. I'm doing that with my kids. And sometimes, just confession time, is, it's, it's something I have to do. I got to get done. I got four chapters. I got to get through it, right? And, and, and there's, I guess there's a point in reading through the Bible in here. I think that's good. There's a reason we're doing it. But sometimes we need to slow down, right, and think and consider what is God saying to us and then respond to him in prayer. Uh, I, I've been taking, uh, all week long, I've been taking uh, Exodus 3-7 with me. Uh, this is God speaking to Moses, and he says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries. I know their sufferings, and I am sending a deliverer, right? And I've been thinking about that all week. And I've been praying about the persecuted church just in light of that. God, will you see their affliction? Will you hear their cries? Will you know their suffering? And will you in kindness, therefore, send deliverance to them? Right, so the word of God inspires our prayers. And so prayer, I think, is in many ways simply continuing a conversation God begins with his scripture. And so we pray in the spirit. But you notice in this verse, and we'll move quickly at this point, that, that Paul not only tells us to pray in the Spirit, he tells us when and what and how and for whom. Right? And they're all with this, next to this little word, all, A-L-L, repeated four times there in verse 18. And so he says the first all, you note there at the beginning, it says pray at all times. That's when we pray. When should we pray? At all times. What does that mean? Every second of my life? No, that, that's not what it means. Right? We have to sleep. I'm, I'm not praying right now. Okay? It doesn't mean every second, but it does mean that you're praying throughout the day, that, that you, you have prayer throughout the day. Now, some people have taken passages like this and gone, taken them to the extreme and say, well, I don't really have a special devoted time of prayer because I need to just pray at all times. That, again, that's not what Paul is saying. In fact, Jesus, quite often, had special devoted times of prayer. And so prayer needs to be a spiritual discipline, which we set aside to do it. And at the same time, prayer needs to be a way of life. So we have special times of prayer and impromptu times of prayer. We have disciplined prayer. We have spontaneous prayer. And you might think about the relationship that you have with your spouse. Right? You, you talk to your spouse every day, I trust. And, uh, and, and sometimes you have time where you set aside to be with your spouse. So Lager and I, every morning, we, we have 10 minutes, and we go out in our special place, and we shoo the kids away, and uh, we need to spend that 10 minutes together every morning. And it's usually the conversation is, okay, you're going this way, and I'm going this way, and someone's coming back at this time, right? But right, we're kind of figuring out what the day is going to be like, but we're, we're investing in our family, we're investing in one another. We have a favorite place we go to and a couple times a week. We say, okay, listen, mommy and daddy are going to be gone 45 minutes, an hour, and we'll be back. We need to spend time together, right? And you do that with your spouse. You spend time with them. And then we talk throughout the day, right? Uh, spontaneous talk, right? We're, we're, we're uh, uh, yesterday, we're, uh, we're, we're potty training our two-year-old, okay? And uh, she, was having, she was kicking her potty around, uh, around the, the house because, uh, you know, the, the product was not coming out according to her timeline. Okay, and she's very frustrated. So we're talking about that. I don't know why I brought that up. It's not in my notes. I apologize. Stick to my notes, okay? All right? But my point is we talk throughout the day. 
So we have special times of prayer and, that, and then uh, uh, of communication. And then, uh, based upon that relationship, we have spontaneous communication throughout the day. The same goes with God. If you want to have a spontaneous communication with God, you need to have a disciplined, regular meeting with God. So you need to schedule that. It's not going to happen by accident. Okay? You, we all have good ambitions. I'm going to pray, we say. And if you don't get something down, it's not going to happen. D.A. Carson is right when he says much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. For we do not drift into spiritual life. So you need to plan a time. You need to calendar it, if you will. I think it's best to be secluded when you're doing it. I pace when I pray. I, I, uh, got, uh, I sometimes sing when I pray, and no one wants to hear that. Okay, And so you have to be by yourself, I think. Um, and so you get that time of prayer, maybe 10 minutes before lunch. Before you start digging in, you just open a word and read a couple verses and have a time of stillness and think about what God is saying. You respond to him and you say, God, will you, will you help me for the rest of this day to find my delight in you? Will you help me conquer this sin that's tempting me? Will you fill me in joy? Maybe five minutes before bed. Maybe that's what you do before you go to bed. Right? You thank God for today. You confess the sin that you've committed today. Maybe you pray like the psalmist. Uh, May I remember you upon my bed, O Lord. And then we pray throughout the day. We pray at all times. Hundreds of daily prayers as you commune with God. All the time. Let me tell you, nothing's going to happen to you tomorrow in which prayer would be an inappropriate response. Nothing. Success, failure, fatigue, frustration, fear, trouble, trial, whatever it is. It's all an occasion to talk to God. Sometimes verbally spoken, sometimes in your heart. Thank you, God, for the green light, right? Please, God, will you change the light, right? Do you ever pray that? Okay. Please, God, help me have patience while I wait for the light. Help this meeting to go well. I want to listen thoughtfully to my coworkers. Thank you for that hug from my child. Help me preach this sermon. Encourage my wife as she educates our kids. Help me find things to talk about with my teenager. Help, help our two-year-old potty train, right? These are things that we pray about, right? You you don't wait to pray. Sometimes we think, oh, okay, I should pray for that. Uh, I'll pray for that in my prayer time. No, all time is prayer time. Pray at all times. He goes on to tell us what to pray for. Not very specific, but it's helpful nevertheless. And you see that second all. He says to that, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So all kinds of prayer, uh, praising prayers and, and begging prayers and confessing prayers and thanksgiving prayers and uh, asking prayers and adoring prayers, all kinds of prayer, talking to God. It's Tim Keller who, who's helped me in his book on prayer that he says you have th- three kinds of relationships in your life and you t- communicate with those people differently. You have a coworker that you appreciate, a friend you enjoy, and a, 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 a spouse whom you love. You talk to them all differently. With a coworker, your conversation with them is goal-oriented. Okay? You, you, t- you, you talk about work-related uh, realities, things you need. With a friend, you open up your heart to them. You share your troubles, your struggles. With a lover, you have this impulse to tell them what it is that you find beautiful in them. What you adore in them. You see, with a coworker, you bring petitions. With a friend, you bring confession. With a spouse, you bring adoration. And the deeper the relationship, the more it heads towards praise, the more it heads towards expression of love and delight. And so it should be with God. We should, all kinds of prayer, Paul says, we should adore him and praise him. But sometimes we bring to him our request. In fact, Paul tells us too there, doesn't he, with all prayer and supplication. Supplication simply means requests. Come to God and bring your requests, which I think is utterly incredible. I understand why God wants us to praise him. But he tells him, God Almighty tells you, Christian, through his word over and over and over again, I want you to ask me for things. I want you to ask me for things. Now listen. I'm a dad, right? And that's not always my attitude. I don't know if anybody else relate, right? Sometimes I think with my children, stop asking me for things, okay? Figure it out, right? Go ask your mother, okay? 
Right? <laughs> uh, I, I, while we're talking about potty training today, we, we, so we are our two-year-old potty training. We know it's time to potty, you know, this is number eight for us, so I think Allegra should write a book. I mean, she is a pro. We know it's time to potty train when the child comes to you and asks that they, uh, you know, they come and say they've made a deposit, right? And they, they kind of let you know what's going on. And so that's how we know it's time to change. Well, sometimes my two-year-old comes to me and says, Daddy, uh, I need a change. And my attitude is not always, okay, sweetheart, let Daddy clean you up. Often my attitude is, where's my teenage daughter, right? Okay. Where's your, where's your mother? I, you, you know that uh, I take a nap on Sunday afternoons, as the Bible instructs. It's, uh, right? <laughs> Somewhere in the back, okay? Um, and it also seems on Sunday afternoons that every question that has ever occurred to my children pops in their mind on Sunday afternoons. And they all, it all has to be answered immediately. And uh, not all together, but all, they, 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 they must have a spreadsheet where they come in every six minutes and 30 seconds, uh, one after another. Can I have a banana? Can you fix the printer? Why is the sky blue? You know, I have a poopy, right? And all the rest, okay? And uh, this is what, and my thought is not always, isn't this wonderful? My thought, quite often, is lock the door, please. But you know, God needs no naps, and he never tires of you asking. Is that not extraordinary? Ask me. Ask me, he says. In fact, he commands it. Come to me with your requests. One pastor I heard ask his congregation, what, what large things have you not dared ask God for? And not, not like a new truck or something like that, but what, what, what blessing that the scripture promises have you not asked God for? What kingdom-oriented reality have you not asked him for? And I, I'm not, I, I understand the, the, the dangers of the heresy of the name and enclavement movement. It's not what I'm talking about here. But I think sometimes the pendulum swings so far to the opposite side that we just don't ask. Or... What small thing do you think is too bothersome to God to ask for? Aches and pains, relationships you might have, fears you may face, insecurities as you go to school or work. You think that's not worthy of bringing up to God? Well, I'll tell you the scripture says that we come to him with all prayer and supplication. Notice he also tells us how to pray. How should we pray? Well, reading on, we read that we are to to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And so there's an alertness to our prayer, he says. We pray as those who are spiritually alert to what's going on. And remember, the context here is spiritual warfare. He is describing the Christian warrior, as we've already seen. And the prime uh, requirement in this combat in which we wage is to be alert to what's going on. I read this week that if you, in the U.S. military, if you fall asleep at your post, you are liable to a court-martial. It's incredible, incredibly serious. Why we think the stakes are just as high in the Christian life. That, that the needs of our life and the needs of our church and the needs of our family require us to be alert to what is going on around us. When we enter into a situation, we should be alert to what we should be praying for. We walk into class, we can have an attitude of prayer. When, we, when, we, when a family gathers together for evening, we can have an attitude of prayer. We turn on the television and, and we can have an attitude of prayer asking God to guard our hearts. We go on a date with our loved one. We could ask for prayer that it would be profitable and you'd have an opportunity to encourage and affirm. We ought to be alert in our prayerful attitude, with all perseverance, he says. And I think this is something, once again, we're not very good at. We are not a persevering people. We are a people of instant gratification. And we turn on the television in our house, and we first decision, do we do, uh, do, we do Netflix, or do we do Prime Video, or we do the Hulu, or do we do uh, Dis- Disney something or other? I mean, what are we doing? And then once we find the one we want, then there's literally a library of 10,000 different shows uh, to pick, right? And then then finally, an hour later, we finally pick one as a family, and it takes three seconds to load, and one of my children will say, why is the internet so slow? (laughs) Totally oblivious to the fact when I grew up, you turn on the television, you watch what was on. One of three channels, right? 
I'm no better. I turn on my computer and I open the program and it takes three seconds to load. And I, what is going Why? I need a new computer. This thing is so slow. We're not, we're not very good at this. And we talk to God and we pray and, and, and quite often we think, why is it so slow? This is some kind of glitch. I need an upgrade. Why is this taking so long? Well, we might be helped to, if that's our attitude with the words of our, our brother here, that we are to pray with all perseverance. In fact, Jesus, Jesus taught this as well, didn't he? He taught a parable, and he, the Bible even tells us why he taught the parable of the persistent widow. He said that he told them this so that they would always pray and not lose heart. I think many Christians testify that God has answered prayers after years of prayer especially praying for loved ones to come to faith in Jesus. Many Christians uh, testify that, that through years and years of prayer, and often it, it comes with some type of life change. child is born, someone is sick, they get a new job, a new neighbor moves in, and God finally answers that prayer. I love uh, the stories of George Mueller, the, the great man of prayer, some 200 years ago. He prayed for his two closest friends. His two closest friends, by the way, were unbelievers. He prayed for them both for 50 years that they would come to faith in Jesus. Someone once asked him in the middle of this, do you actually think uh, God, uh, that, that God is going to bring them to faith? Mueller's answer was, do you think God would have me keep praying for 50 years if he did not intend to save them? He did. Save them both. The first on Mueller's deathbed. As Mueller saw his friend come to faith. The second at Mueller's funeral as the pastor preached the gospel. It's Oswald Sanders who said, the very fact that God lays a burden of prayer on our hearts and keeps us praying is evidence that he intends to grant the answer. The Lord delights to answer persevering prayer. You might ask why. I sometimes do. Why why, why do I have to ask for something more than once? Why, Why three times? Why 30 times? Why 30 years? We're not sure. But it might just be that God develops our character as we keep doing this. It might be that it humbles us as we are, we're reminded that he's the king and not us. I think it would probably be bad for our pride if every time we ask God for something, he instantly gave it to us. I wonder if in persevering that we glorify God. As we keep praying and nothing seems to be happening, and yet we keep praying as if we believe God will act. You see, prayerlessness is unbelief, isn't it? You either don't believe God exists and therefore you don't pray, or, or do believe he exists but don't believe he could do anything about it. That's unbelief. Or don't think he will do anything about it or really cares to. Also unbelief. But if you keep praying to a God you have not seen, but you believe exists, believe can answer this prayer, and believes he cares for you, and you keep praying, I think you bring him honor and glory. And perhaps that's why he has us persevere. Persevere in prayer for all the saints. Lastly, we see that Paul tells us this last all. Who is it we are to pray for? For whom do we pray? Well, you see there at the end of verse 18, don't you? For all the saints. This, again, does not mean we should not pray for ourselves. I find many times in Scripture people praying for themselves. Certainly Jesus did over and over again. doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for our family and so forth or unbelievers. Uh, but, but it does mean we ought to pray for each other, for all the saints. These are the saints, the, our believers on Jesus Christ. Here, especially in our church, uh, pray for our ministry partners. Pray for the persecuted church. And I wonder, do you pray for your fellow members of Hamilton Baptist Church? If you're a member of this church, you have covenanted to pray for one another. You have made a vow saying, I will pray for the members of this church are you doing so? Are you praying for your community group? Right. What, 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 I wonder what would happen if God came up to you after our service and said, listen, all the prayers you prayed for your church last week, I'm going to answer right now. I'm going to answer. What would happen? Would relationships be restored? Would there be triumphs in the gospel? Would people overcome struggles? Would joy flood people's hearts or would not much happen because you haven't been praying for one another. The elders have about three or four months ago divided the members of the church 
amongst the seven elders committed to more intentionally and strategically ministering to our church, and in particular, in praying for them, just as Paul did. You notice Paul's letters are often seem like prayer journals. He, he often stops. He does so twice in Ephesians. And, oh, by the way, I was praying this for you, and, 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 uh, and I want you to know I'm, I'm praying this for you. I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. He says it all the time. But, but it is somewhat astonishing to me that if you just read on there in verse 19, when he says, for all the saints, and then he says, what is it? And also for me. Also for me. Paul says, will you please pray for me? This is Paul. This is written uh, later in Paul's ministry. In the picture in my mind, I have the, you know, Paul with this big white beard flowing down his chest and his, you know, his, uh, his worn face and his body bearing the scars of his years of ministry. This is a man who could stand before either mob or king, before some Pharisee or philosopher and not back down an inch. And he says, I can't do it. Unless you pray for me. Will you pray for me, Paul says. And it is undoubtedly self-serving for me personally. But I wonder if there is application for us in this passage to pray for not, for, we can't pray for Paul anymore, but we can pray for people in Paul-like ministry. We can pray for missionaries. We can pray for church planners. We can pray for those who seek to proclaim the word of God and to teach others. In particular, you pray for your pastors. Your pastors need your prayers. I think who, who is the devil more likely to attack than those who preach the gospel and lead God's people? The pastors are currently reading a book on pastoral ministry, and we were, we were kind of shocked. We were talking about this on Monday. Shocked uh, to see uh, the struggles that pastors have that pastors are tempted to folly, and, and if not folly, they're tempted to pride, and they bring menace to their churches. On the other hand, they're weary from their burdens. We read that 80% of those in pastoral ministry think the ministry has negatively affected their families. We also re- read that 40% of pastors report serious conflict with a member in their congregation at least once a month. For many pastors... They struggle with uh, despair. They are despondent because of opposition in the church or because of hardship or because of a lack of fruitfulness or because of constant criticism or even constant advice. 70% of pastors report that they constantly fight depression. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could find another job. Many, as you know, as the headlines repeatedly tell us, seek refuge from the burdens of the ministry in the sinful comforts that shipwreck their pastoral duties. In fact, 33%, astonishing to me, 33% of pastors confess to having engaged in inappropriate sexual behavior with someone within their church. Others don't last. 50% of pastors will not last five years in the ministry, and 90% of pastors will not retire as a pastor. They will not finish the race. I'm thankful that God is, I believe, um, I don't don't read those stats to you as a a way of self-expression. I praise God that, that, that much of this, if not all of it, I have difficulty relating to. And yet, the enemy exists. And the burdens are true. And so if I may, as Paul said, and also for me, may I pray, will you also pray for me? And Josh, Cody, Craig, John, Butch, and Dave, your fellow elders, pray for those. Remember when uh, Israel is in the wilderness and and they go to battle, and God says, As long as Moses' arms are raised, you shall win the battle. That sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? And so Moses raises his arms, and the people of God go in against their enemy, and they find victory in the battle, and yet Moses' arms grow weary, and they begin to drop. 
and the tide of the battle begins to turn, and the, the Israelites say, well, God never said we can't help them. And so they put one on his left and one on his right, and two men of God come alongside their leader and raise his arms back up, and the tide of the battle turns back to the people of God. Is that not a picture of praying for your spiritual leaders? Will you not pray also for me? What a privilege. I hope you see it as a privilege that you get to pray. I pray you will do so. I pray you'll make some new resolve, some new effort, some new venture with God this year. I pray you'll join us for prayer week. I pray you pray through the prayer guide as we sent out, and you can pray as one church in one accord. I'm going to meet some of you at 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning that we can begin our day in prayer. Some of you are going to gather at Thursday at noon for 45 minutes. It was just, we're going to set aside lunch, and we're going to pray instead. And then as we've already explained, this Saturday we're going to gather to pray at 4 o'clock. I pray, I hope you're praying in your community groups throughout this week that we will pray this week just as Jesus taught. Just as Jesus showed us. Jesus prayed all the time, didn't he? Perhaps one of his most famous prayers was uttered from the cross. When he said, Father, you know this one, don't you? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's dying on the cross for sin and sinners. He came to this world to live a perfect life and then die in our place so that he can pay our penalty. He could pay our debt. He could endure the curse that's due to us for our sin in order that God would be right and good to forgive us. Father, forgive them, he prays. I wonder, have you been forgiven by God? And therefore, you can pray to God. So many people, I think, especially in our culture, say, I don't need any forgiveness. I'm a good person. My question would be, then, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die if your record is good enough to earn your place in heaven? I would suggest to you that it is not. In fact, Scripture is emphatic that it is not. And yet God loves you so much that he died for you and his son, that your debt might be forgiven And then three days later, just to prove that it happened, he rose victoriously from the the grave, historically, visibly, in front of 500 people, that we might have confidence that the debt has been set aside. And now scripture invites anyone who would receive the, who would want the mercy of God, the grace of God, to simply call out and say, God, be gracious to me, be merciful to me, a sinner, as I yield my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord, Savior, and King. If you do that today, the Bible tells us that is how you enter into a relationship with God and are saved by him. And he will send his spirit to you to help you pray. I close with a story I've shared with you before. Um, but I, I do love it, so you'll, you'll excuse me for repeating it. it and, I'm, and I'll tell you, by the way, I'm not sure it's a true story. It may be a fable. It's about a true man. But I can't, I, I did my best to kind of verify the historicity and was unable to do so. But it's a story of a man named Ignacy Paderewski, a world-renowned pianist in the early 20th century, a Polish man who was having a concert in America. And, and the concert was held in this magnificent uh, concert hall. It was packed with this waiting anticipation. And, and amongst the crowd was a mother and who, who desperately wanted to encourage her boy in his own piano playing. And so she sacrificed a great deal and bought the very best tickets she could afford. And she took her boy there to this crowd, to this amphitheater, and, and, he, and he was just in awe. Uh, the huge crowd, the massive theater, the 12-foot grand piano sitting there on center stage. And while the, the mother was speaking to, to those around her, the little boy slipped away. Until suddenly, to everyone's surprise, the sound of the piano was heard. Someone was playing it. And they all turned towards the stage. And it was the young boy sitting on the piano bench playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Everyone laughed, except his mother, (laughs) who nearly fainted, I'm sure. And yet the crowd was somewhat fickle, as crowds tend to be. It was amusing to start with, but he kept playing. And soon they began to 
grow agitated, think maybe the, the great master is becoming aggravated with this, guy, this, this little boy on his piano. And so finally people begin to shout, get him off the piano! As the mother kind of frantically searched for her way on the stage. As the crowd began to shout, suddenly Paderewski appeared on stage, walking very briskly towards the boy, leaving many to think he's about to maybe rebuke the boy, or at the very least remove him from his, this, this wonderful instrument. And yet instead, the great master leaned over the boy's shoulder and whispered in his ear, Don't stop, son. Keep playing. And then, reaching around with his left hand, Paderewski began to fill in a bass part. And soon his right arm reached around the other side and now encircling the child as he added this running obligato. And soon this wonderful music filled the concert hall, all spontaneously composed. Together the old concert master and the young boy held the crowd mesmerized. All the while he kept whispering in his ear, Don't stop, son. Keep playing. When they finished, the masses sprang to their feet, cheering this great long ovation, raising the question, why? Why were they so moved? Was this the greatest piece of music they ever heard? Was this the, 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 the master's triumph? No, of course not. No, it wasn't his improvised comp- composition. The masterpiece was what he did with the young boy. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when we come to God with our twinkle, twinkle, little star prayers, God in his Holy Spirit wraps his arms around us and makes something incredible of our prayers. All the while whispering in our ear, don't stop, son. Keep praying. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the great privilege that it is to speak to you, even now. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, We believe we are talking to the one true God, and you're listening to us. What a great honor it is to speak to you, God. What a great privilege it is to call you our Father, that you would condescend yourself to invite your people as lowly as us to speak to you at any time about anything, invite us to, even as we live this Christian life. What a privilege before us. May we be faithful to embrace it. May you grow Hamilton Baptist Church into a praying people. As you work in our midst, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.